Welcome, everybody, to the Resilient Podcast. My name is Neil Tanner, and I'm your host today. Today, we've got a fantastic guest, Sophia Chang from Deploy. Welcome, Sophia, to Thank the podcast. You so yeah. Thank you so much for involving me into this yeah. awesome new endeavor. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to see what comes out of it and uh, what other guests have said, but really happy to get to share my stories with you today. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming out for this. So um, maybe we'll just kick it off with you just giving a quick introduction of yourself and you know, talk a little bit about uh, Deploy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm Sophia. I'm the founder and CTO of Deploy and mostly in charge of the technical side, the how of how we build the business. Um, and we are a decentralized scout network for VCs to find quality deal flow. In Web3 or? Um, right now we are focused mainly on a few verticals, uh, PropTech, Web3, FinTech, um, but hopefully as we move along, we can expand into other verticals as well. Right, right. And then, so uh, I guess uh, if you kind of take a look at it, when did this journey start? You know, you know, who else are you on this journey with? Uh, yeah, I have a brilliant co-founder and I think we balance each other in a lot of different ways. He is a prop tech expert. He used to work at JLL as the head of prop tech Asia um, and he comes from a wealth of experience working with startups, uh, looking at fundraising cycles for different startups. And we really came down to talking about Deploy last year because we uh, shared a panel um, on PropTech uh, and the outlook in the GBA. And he came to me with this idea uh, for Deploy. But back then, you know, it was just an idea and we talked mm. through it. But back then I was still working for a different startup. So we uh, benched the idea for a while. Earlier this year, uh, around the start of this year, actually, um, he came back to me and said, okay, I'm ready to start Deploy full time, quit yeah. his job. And at that point in time, I was looking to pivot out of my previous role as well. And I think it was quite serendipitous how this whole thing happened. Um, and we, yeah, we got to talking and talked about how to build this platform out to the vision of what we want to build, um, just having uh, the allowing more participation in the knowledge and innovation economy. Mm -hmm. um, and so with that in mind, uh, I quit my job as well and we started Deploy full time. Wow, that's pretty brave, right? I, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that I do have now is time and you know the energy to build something and, and to take on this challenge. So yeah, I, I think it was just more of taking that step out and say, okay, you know what, you have to go all in on something that you believe in right. in order to make it good. Right. And like, you know, what, uh, what was the impetus inside of it? I mean, I guess you're the problem statement and also how did the concept kind of come around and also mature? Yeah. As I mentioned, he was looking at a lot of startups and he realized that a lot of times from the fund rate, uh, from, from the funders perspective, you are, uh, going into a lot of sunk costs because you're usually um, putting in the funds because you've already done the DD, you've already talked to the founders. There's a lot of time sunk into the startup um, before you actually uh, get to know them. So uh, from my perspective, I've seen a lot of uh, startups going through the fundraising cycle. And once they get started with that, they never quite leave the game. You see a lot of founders who start off their company trying to build a great product and then as they realized they needed the funds to uh, continue the operations, they 
start to lose sight of the product itself, but it mm. becomes a fiduciary responsibility to their investors to keep fundraising. Mm. And so uh, what we're trying to build is a platform that enables uh, startups and lesser known founders who do not have to rely on their existing network to tap into an accessible and alternative fundraising means. Right. And how is this uh, different, let's say, inside, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of different constructs inside of this space in terms of fundraising? I mean, let's say crowdfunding, for example, mm -hmm. like the differences between what you're trying to do and maybe some of the other models that people have yeah. access to. I think that's a great question. I think there are plenty of solutions out there um, and there's plenty of money to go around. Uh, what ends up happening nowadays is that there's no... Uh, crowdsourced intelligence on these startups. I mean, one way of doing that is crowdfunding, but you are soliciting the funds from uh, the mass and they may not be an expert in the field or the domain um, that the startup is in. So you end up risking a lot of personal capital when you're trying to back a startup. Whereas we're trying to insert an extra layer of pre-screening the deals before they hit the desks of the investors. So if you look at uh, I won't name the competitors, but there are a lot of solutions out there that are kind of the classified ads of fundraising. Right. So you get a list of startups and maybe through some recommendation system, you get a few that get float to the top, but you don't get the experts who are working closely in that field to vet them. Mm -hmm. So that's the layer that we're adding. So we have experts involved. Um, who will pre-screen the deals and evaluate them through our unique evaluation model um, before it gets uh, sent to the VCs. Um, and they get to look at these deals through two different lenses. So through, um, let's say it's a deal in prop tech, um, then you could see uh, a construction expert, a domain expert evaluate it, but you might also see uh, a sustainability expert look at it. And they might rate differently on these two categories. And then you get to see the deal um, from a very different lens. Right. And so essentially you're trying to build up a community of experts inside of these different domains, right? Yeah. And it's driven by the types of deals that you have exposure to or you're floored as well. Who ultimately has the, let's say they're 50-50 on it. One ESG says, you know what, this is a terrible idea. And the other like prop tech person says it's fantastic. Like who has the ultimate goal in terms of if well, the investor then has to think about what their thesis is. If, you know, they want to do something in both, maybe it's not the right uh, mm. deal for them. But that's also why uh, this is this ends up being the investor's um, dashboard and it allows them to see all the deals that are available through different lenses. And each deal might be tagged with a different domain. Um, and this is also through the incentive model that we're trying to build. Uh, by involving the scouts who introduce the deals, as well as the experts who evaluate the deals, and then ultimately the investors who get the option of choosing whether or not to go ahead with it. But we just want to bring that screening step a little bit closer to the ground so that it's not after you know a scout brings a deal on your table, you go through their data room, and then you waste a lot of the analysts' time mm -hmm. writing the investment uh, memos, and then to realize, oh wait, we've spent so much time on this deal, but Turns out it's not great. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's basically so if you look at the whole community, you've got the scouts, you've got you've got the projects themselves, you've got the scouts, and then you've got the advisors, if you will, and then you also have the buyers or the investors of those folks, right? And then you're putting them all together inside of the ecosystem, and then how do you actually, I guess, monetize or how 
How does this work? Is it a subscription model for like yeah. investors or, you know? Right now we're going off of a subscription model for the investors. And obviously uh, right now we're still very early in testing this model, but we're, uh, yeah, we're working very closely with our ecosystem partners to make mm -hmm. sure we're showing them the information that they want to see, um, as well as giving them the metrics that they would need to evaluate the deals. Mm -hmm. So this is also um, a perk of being an early subscriber that they get to have a lot of say in shaping the product that would be suited for their use cases right and then is there any sort of like hey you know what um i'm super interested in this deal uh can i get additional due diligence done by these experts like is there other sort of ways to um kind yeah, of monetize exactly okay. so um one way we're pushing the uh, platform forward in the future is to create these baseball cards if you will so okay. it's like fantasy football but fantasy yeah expert circle okay. um, and you get to see these profiles of the experts mm. uh, what deals they've done before or maybe what uh, advice that they've given to startups before um, you get to see the track record of every uh, touch point what deals they've also brought in to the platform and as the investor you get to play your own lead you get to find the experts you want to work with find the scouts you want to work with and handpick your own team and play smarter bets basically. right and what's to say i mean uh to play kind of devil's advocate i mean what's to say that these advisors don't take off and like you know pull your clients essentially off the platform and then do other deals on the side is there a way that i mean kinda... no nothing is really barring them from doing so but they also don't get a full view of all the deals on the platform because mm. as an expert in the field you have a tag on the domain of expertise you're a part of right so uh, you will end up being, um, yeah, you, you'll end up only seeing the deals that are within that domain. And mm. if you wanted to invest, I mean, that's great for the startups, right? Uh, and nothing's really barring them from doing so. But I would assume that, you know, a lot of experts do not have that uh, capital, which is why they're doing, you know, a lot of work on the side to right. be an expert in that field. Um, yeah, and, and VCs are usually just gambling with other people's money, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> yes and no, okay. Yes and no, yes and no, obviously, yeah, yes and no. But I mean, uh, the, the, there, there's huge risk, right, sure, involved sure, in, in this yeah. innovation mean, economy, but that's also what gives you huge ticket sizes and, and yeah. huge growth. Uh, the power of law, as we call it. Right, wow. so, okay. uh, yeah, so, yeah, so we try to create balance in yeah. our ecosystem. And for every mechanism that we're trying to design, we're also thinking about how can someone hack into our system or take advantage of it. And we draw mm. a lot of inspiration from game mechanics. So, for example, oh, okay. if we buff uh, one of the user's profiles, um, how would someone take advantage of that? How do you hack the system? How do you... How do you overpower other players in the system right so so for every uh yeah for every mechanism that we're designing we go through a lengthy process of discussion and uh yeah there's constant debate about you know what we're trying to do right. um and and i i still believe that it's a explore and exploit kind of tactic we explore sure. as many options as possible and we exploit the one that uh gains most traction right do you guys have like other other revenue streams like let's say success fees inside of the deals and all those different things i mean is that also part of it yeah okay. so i mean right now uh a lot of vc the bigger vc funds have their own scout networks and uh there's no 
standard and what's a carry fee. Sure. Uh, there's no standard and how much fund is allocated for each scout. There's no standardization of what due diligence the scout has to do. And a lot of funds kind of use this as an entry level uh, mm -hmm. way of looking at uh, venture capital. And so they solicit uh, anyone in the industry, be it uh, ex-founders or people with the network to um, join into this economy, right? But the thing so is, they encourage you those people to go there. Exactly, exactly. But okay. the problem is that there's no standardization. Sure. And you end up, you know, you can have a scout who's just like, oh, my buddy's starting the startup. This is great. I'll right. just start. You know, so, yeah, so this is not the best pump way. Pump dump or whatever. Yeah. That type of thing. yeah. Exactly. And we've right. seen a lot of this over the last couple of years with the FOMO economy and people investing because everyone else said it's great. Sure. Uh, AI right now, you know, anything yep. with an AI wrapper is getting millions of funding. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, it, people forget the basics right, right. Um, when, when there's like the crowd mentality, the herd mentality. And so that's also why we try to make this as decentralized as possible. Um, and as for other revenue streams, we are exploring a couple of other ones. And uh, like I mentioned yesterday, we actually hosted a pitch competition for a prop tech uh, startup um, event. And we launched a side product in order to experiment with other ways of getting uh, deal flow. Mm. So we were thinking, okay, well, pitch competitions, usually done with paper and pen or an Excel spreadsheet or Google form at best. But for a competition that's supposed to fund the technologies of the future, people are still stuck in analog ways. Right. And so I, I see this irony because it's not really a hard problem to solve, right. but solving this problem allows us to get a different um, stream of deal flow, another stream of pre-screen deal flow. And with the judges already giving their marks, using our evaluation model, we get to test that as well. So this is something that we're exploring now, um, given the success yesterday, uh, and getting a lot of great feedback. We right. got a call from Dubai asking. You know, already? We, yeah, already. That's awesome. yesterday, at, right after the competition, they right. asked, oh, can we use your, your platform <laughs> in two weeks? That so, is so cool. So, yeah. So um, basically, you just kind of like uh, deploy it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of things you with <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, we are keeping our um, eyes and ears open for the next opportunity, for the uh, next thing we can experiment. That is so cool. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe you can talk about how, you know, your earlier days, I guess, how this kind of influenced you to go down this entrepreneurial path. Because, you know, you, uh, of course, you're not as old as some of us, but, <laughs> but you can maybe talk about your journey up to date and then how you ended up here. So Yeah, sure. I, uh, I've always thought about building things um, since a young age. I... I think coming from Hong Kong, I was always under the influence that, oh, you either become a banker, a lawyer, or a doctor. Right. And uh, I was not immune to that at all. But when I was so in college... So you wanted to be one of those, Yeah, right? I started off in college as an econ major, thinking... Seriously? Wow. Yeah, I okay. want to work in finance um, right. and, uh, you know, be on Wall Street, etc. And, and that then... was just because all your friends were doing the exactly, same. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when you're younger, you, you're just not sure what options are out there. Right. And especially as a woman, you know, I never thought I'd be in tech. Right. Uh, because you just yeah, don't like, see a lot of... Yeah, that's like, how did you... you know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very unusual, right? Yeah, it's you don't very, see very... a lot of role models, I would no. say, uh, being top of their field uh, in tech. And uh, so I never thought it was an option because right. it was just not something visible to me. 
Uh, I was very lucky. I went to a women's college. So I went to Wellesley. Wow. Okay. I went to Wellesley. Wesleyan? Oh, you went? No, I went to Wellesley. You went to Wellesley? Yeah. I took a class at Wellesley. (laughs) 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 I did. I was like, yeah, it's totally. Anyways, it's not about me, but it's all you. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I went there ages ago. Yeah, I took a class there because. I was just, I was trying to fulfill certain requirements inside of my major, but then my school didn't have all the cl- oh. all the classes and stuff. So, cool, cool. Yeah, I had friends that were, uh, that went there uh, for things like Japanese, like all kinds of things that we didn't have. Yeah. They ended up going to Wellesley and maybe um, some of the other ones like MIT, Harvard, of course, all those places, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that was one thing that was amazing about Wellesley is that we had this vibrant community for women um, who who just, you, you didn't have any comparisons about gender at all. It was mm. just about what you can build right. and what you can do. Um, right. And so I, I think I got really encouraged there to just pursue whatever I liked. Sure. And uh, I ended up taking one computer science class uh, during my first year and I realized, wait, I kind of like this. So you <laughs> took, so like you had no pre conceived notion about going into CS when you walked in the door? Yeah, I mean, I took one class in high school, but I don't think that was as transformative. I I visited MIT. I thought it was amazing as a space, um, but I just didn't really vibe with the people, I think. I was just um, very much trying to figure out what I enjoyed doing. So I was very lucky. I took a game design class. That was the first CS class. My first CS class. Wow. I was like, wait, this is kind of fun. I can build whatever I want. Right. Um, And this is back when Unity was a small startup from Copenhagen. Sure, sure. And, you know, now obviously. It's massive. Yeah, yeah I, I, back then when I first used it, I was like, I think this is going to be big, and yeah. did not invest, but <laughs> so I can say that. But uh, yeah, I, I took this class, and I just felt so empowered and enabled that I can yeah. turn an idea into something real. Right. I was like, wait, this is so much cool. more fun than learning about supply and demand. Right. <laughs> I was like, wait, uh, yeah, this is cool. You know, you right. can really feel the tangible effects of building something that has real world implications right, right and this is around the time that you know social network the movie came out i was like wait i, so I, I, I can do that you know and then you had a friend that came up with an idea no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. um yeah so uh that's kind of where it started and uh, as i got deeper into the major i, I switched into computer science and completely in completely, undergrad yeah right. undergrad so I, I did computer science and econ um right. oh and, dual major uh i minored in econ okay no, got it. It's just, not for me. Just for me. Yeah, it was too, uh, I think, research-focused. Um, too theoretical. Theoretical. Right. Uh, and I ended up, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going to be a programmer. Right. And I got a job out of college thinking I was going to BlackRock, be a back oh, office right, right, right. Uh, data engineer. Right. In New York City. You know, so it was with BlackRock. Yeah, so I, I it was Your a first job to, out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, the story goes yeah. that I... I signed everything, and then I got into a car crash my Whoa, senior year of college. Seriously. And yeah. I think that was the moment where I was like, I don't think I can work for a big company because I didn't want to be a cog in the machine. Right. I really wanted to feel like I'm creating impact and be it within my own community. It doesn't have to be big, but I yeah. want to feel like I am affecting change. And so I was still 
thinking about what I was going to do next. So I went to do my master's and right. I moved to oh, London. Oh, you mean you went directly from undergrad to, uh, yeah. to grad school, right? right. Yeah. Okay. So I went from a women's college yeah. to a men's college. Okay. So I went to Imperial Whoa. Okay. in London. And major. it was a major change, yeah. not only in the pedagogy and the dynamics, demographic, yes. um, just, you know, a different city as well. Right. Uh, went from New England to the old England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and switching I, gears. Yeah, you and liked I, it or you're like, eh. I am grateful for the experience. <laughs> uh, I, I, it was there that I realized what I enjoyed about computer science and yeah. what I didn't. Right. Um, I think I was blessed that the, the computer science degree that I got from Wellesley was very theoretical. So I got yeah. a lot of good fundamentals there in how to think and how to approach problems. Right. And then at Imperial, it was very much application, how to use this knowledge for real world problems, how to think about it in a way deeper and um, advanced like level. More commercial, would um, you say? No, or it was it still... very, very deep science. It was mm. very math mathematics heavy. Um, and I think I, my cohort, they were all older than me. I think I was one of the five women in my class. Only five? How many are there total? In? 50 in my course. Whoa. And then there were right. 500 people um, for that master's but in different 500. Domains. And so I did so, advanced computing. Right. So 50 people were in advanced computing. And, and only five like, women. Yeah. So, wow. Because the prerequisite was that you have to have a computer science degree mm. and, and, and graduate yeah. top in your class. Right. Like they're not like, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're not, they're not like, yeah. I mean, in the, in the States, yeah. they'd be like, oh, you have a philosophy degree. No. Okay, fine. Come on in. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. In Just the UK, the it's very like, Quota. yeah 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 and and it was a different monster i would say it was just very very difficult and adjusting to a new life in london i didn't know anyone i just moved uh, <laughs> everyone was older than me they had real world experience they had industry experience like they, they were working for google or yeah they know whatever, exactly right? what type of problem they want to solve so the classes were more relevant for them mm. but i was still coming from it very theoretical right and i did human robotic interaction wow. um like how, so, how does ai learn from humans like that that was so, my research <laughs> so it was uh it was computing but it was basically when they say computing it's ai is uh, that how you would explain it or is, i mean um, well, i'm oversimplifying yeah, probably, I, I, yeah i guess you could choose your stream for advanced computing because right. it assumes that you have the uh, basic level of understanding for computer science and how computers work etc and the mathematical right. uh, foundations to apply the knowledge into whatever field of expertise you want to choose. Mm. And I really enjoyed robotics because I thought it was a very interesting application sure. of machine learning and AI that right. has real world applications. But I also felt like from my experience of being in a liberal arts education, I could approach the problem from a more human perspective. Right. Because I think a lot of people who are thinking about robotic problems, they were thinking it from you know the engineering room, right, right, but not how people actually use these technologies and how you can make that easier, more user friendly. Sure, sure. Yeah. So my yeah. my research was about uh, how imitation learning. So how do robots learn from humans? Um, so how yeah. do they do that? I mean, there's a lot of theoretical right. research, but what I ultimately love about computer science is that you can apply to any sort of problems right. and uh you know my research was on how grammar can be applied to actions 
So uh, instead of thinking about actions as you know isolated things, maybe you can apply a framework into breaking down certain actions into its semantic roots and their syntactic roots, so that you can teach actions as language. Say to that fast robots. ten times. I don't know what you. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> so I, I mean, I think this. No. Yeah, I don't want to no. digress too much, but I think um, there I it's really cool. found out what I enjoyed about computer yeah. science. There was a the research. Sure. It was. The exploration, application, right. the application, right. um, not so much the sitting in lectures and listening for two hours about how to derive a mathematical proof right. that I realized was not for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad I learned it. Right. I think it's a really good background to have. Yeah. But at the end of the day, um, yeah, it's about, okay, the, the actual problem discovery and how to approach a problem. Right. Um, so... Yeah, I got very lucky. I got a job right out, out of that at a startup. What were you? And, what was that? Uh, so that, that was, was a military drone startup that I was talking whoa. about. Now. Right, right, right. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so that was really interesting. Um, but that's when I first discovered the problems of the fundraising cycle. Why? Um, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So so this was uh, right before COVID. There was two a year or two before COVID, I started the, uh, joining this company. It was amazing. You know, we were very on track. Uh, it was one of the best environments I've ever worked at. Mm. I have to say, everyone was so passionate about what they're building. People were cool and nice and just so smart. Yep. Uh, every conversation led to, you know, different horizons, things I've never even considered. You know, right. we were talking about, at lunch, we would talk about, oh, what would it be like to colonize Mars? What would that huh. look like? Right, right. You know, what would before the governance Elon, structure... No. Yeah, I mean, was, <laughs> not before, yeah. but I'm sure everyone was thinking about it, but right. having these conversations was yeah. so enlightening to right. know that people were just just thinking about these problems. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we were building something that was ethically challenging, uh, mm. and it was uh, a, a lot of heaviness as well because we were building um we called an advanced system on a drone and this means that it can shoot projectiles out sure. of it uh and what it's not it was just used pure for, surveillance right, right? i mean right. it's a whole bunch of different things so there are a lot so we talked to you know the uk's ethical committee um on oh you Morgan, had yeah. to talk to them yeah so we were to, to, in series so when i joined the company it was six people right. and uh, by the end it was about 60 people and we were on track to raise series b yeah but this is when COVID hit Whoa. and it is impossible to work on a hardware startup yeah. uh, remotely. Like yes. you cannot right. do it through Zoom. It right. was just not possible. Right. Back then, you know, uh, there isn't as many conflicts going on in the world. And uh, yeah, th there was no market. There was no um, investors who could come see our product. And so, yeah, the company, after a really long and arduous battle for survival and you can imagine a hardware company with the own with its own production capability huge capex yeah and massive, yeah massive. just saw a liquidation event happen wow. so that was the first job i had right um and this was around the time of covid so i was like maybe it's time for me to move back to hong kong right right and so from yeah. that experience i mean what did you you know looking at what the founders of that firm were doing and also the fundraising and also, you know, a lot of the market conditions that they could not control. What, did, what were kind of key learnings from that for you yeah. in your journey now? Right? I, think, I think it taught me a lot about um, resiliency yeah. because at that time, everyone coined 
COVID as a black swan event yeah. because you just cannot even imagine the implications of such a thing happening and its impact on the world's population is unprecedented. And I, I think at that point, you can see some, some companies did really well out of COVID, mm-hmm. right? Because they right. maybe transitioned really quickly or uh, they pivoted or maybe or they, they were in the right place at the right yeah, time, like a exactly. Zoom or something like this, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right place at the right time. But yeah. I think that has less to do with resiliency. That's more <laughs> just being lucky right, in that right. situation, yep. um, choosing a domain. Uh, but I think the company could have handled some situations better, you know, not mm. trying to... Uh, raised during covid um or maybe trying to uh yeah i mean i'm sure they've tried a lot of different things but it's just i a combination of both human factors and Mm. situation but just thinking of the worst case scenario when these things happen Mm. is is important for every founder i think right just knowing that this could happen anytime yes memento mori right like not just in life but in business as well so yeah, thinking about what does the end look like? What's and the plan B? Yeah, or, plan you know, B. All um, the and contingency just, plans and things like that. Exactly. Right? Having, right. you know, uh, places where you can have reserves or redundancy or plan mm-hmm. B or maybe, yeah, I don't know. Just thinking about different ways of handling it would right. have been better. Um, but we were scrambling at that time. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think another thing was that it showed me how the VC game was played. Oh, the VC game. Yeah, because... Because they were basically funded completely by VCs? Yeah, so there were innovation funds from the government, uh, as you can imagine with, you know, uh, the uh, UK government being involved. There was, like, innovation funds. But a lot of times, because it is backed by the government, you need a one-to-one backing. So you need someone else to be the lead, and then they will join and match. match. Yeah, so... So then you look at the way he was fundraising was, you know, through his own network or his network's network. And I realized from then afterwards, I joined another four startups before starting to ploy. What? Um, Four. Four. Wow. Uh, (laughs) um, You know, uh, different links, but I I went in there with a mission to learn as much as I can in different fields um, and different technologies and different skill sets so that I can position myself to start something that I really want to go all in on. Right. Uh, Yeah. And that was my contingency plan. But then the, so the VC game is, is basically this matching type approach. Yeah. It's, it's so much based on the reputation of the founder. It's like, oh, where they went to school, who they know. Okay. Um, But all these metrics don't really matter at the end of the day. um, Unless you really drill down, go into the business and understand how it operates. Um, and there's no standardization, right? Uh, some family offices have no metrics. I've talked to some funds where I asked them, okay, so what industries do you look at? They're like, all. Yeah. What size? All. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, no... so, so um, yeah, I think there could be a more methodo- uh, you know, methodology to approaching this, but that's just my own hypothesis. And right, thesis. more but, systematic approach to yeah. the whole thing. But I mean, yeah, ultimately, that, that's why, I mean, it's a mixed bag. I mean, I, as far as like, if you talk about institutional or family office or, you know, if you bootstrap, I mean, a lot of people try to hold on as long as they can because then, of course, when they get different institutions involved, then it gets 
you know, whether yeah. the strategy comes off or the tack, you know, what, what, what direction that they're going, it gets influenced, of course, right? So exactly. I guess that's more of the, the concern. So then you ended up going to another four uh, or four other startups. Right. And then, you so know, my I, thinking I back then was that, um, you know, I, I always thought I was going to be in the back office at that point in oh, time. Okay. I, I really enjoyed being a programmer and researching <laughs> AI. Like just and... sitting in the back, just kind of building stuff yeah, and not facing it was fun. It was... markets or anything <laughs> right, like that. Right, just learning. Like... And uh, and back then I was an AI engineer at that company. So it was at the, at at the, the, yeah, at the okay. drone company. Yeah. So I enjoyed that thoroughly, right? People just selling right. the product and I could work on crazy problems that no one has solved yet. Yep. Um, I remember back then we were the first to write on a forum for a question. And a few weeks later, we would be the ones to answer our own questions. Huh. Um, wow. okay. Because this is when we were uh, experimenting with NVIDIA chips. Okay. And, you know, it hasn't developed to where it is now. So that, back then it was a lot of experimentation, trying if this works. Right. And we asked their, their developers, like, hey, sure. have you guys run into this problem before? Right. So we had to fix a lot of things. Right. Uh, and that was really fun because I think early on in your career, when you get a arena to really experiment with your own ideas and get the freedom of seeing that come to fruition was really mm. empowering. Um, and I think it was back when I moved, moved to Hong Kong and I tried to start a company um, with some friends. And uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that was where I learned my biggest lesson because I thought I was always going to be the back office person. I never believed that I had business skills, skill sets or acumen. Sure. And so I allowed all the business decisions to be made by someone else. Mm. Like anything commercial, anything to do with the business. I was like, I'm just the like a uh, tech person, you know, right. I'll, I'll just build the stuff. And I realized that doesn't really work in a startup environment. So that's the right. biggest lesson I learned that you really have to be hands-on. Mm. Um, so I was grateful for all of the experiences that I got because from that, so I was ousted actually. <laughs> you were bounced out? Yeah. How so did that happen? I wanted to work on something deep tech. Yeah. But I was applying a uh, Western mindset to Hong Kong market. And I realized oh, these, a lot of founders yeah. do not think that way. Right. It's more about, okay, commercialization first. Yeah. So they want, so it was a health tech company. Mm -hmm. I wanted to build an algorithm that could predict certain uh, symptoms and diseases sure. and just apply things I've seen in the Western world. And then they were like, let's just build a doctor booking app. And I was like, you don't need me. So I mean, <laughs> fundamentally, you know, our visions diverged. <laughs> Let me, let me just, uh, yeah, yeah, just open up your Google calendar. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, you can press yeah. a few buttons and it's, Google Maps, you can call them directly. That's what they did. Yeah. And so our visions diverged uh, from the very beginning, mm. obviously, then I, was like, I don't want to work on this Are they still around? Or? No. <laughs> okay, well. Uh, well um, yeah, I mean, if they went the direction that you said, I yeah, mean, they'd maybe. be... They, they'd be you know, get, <laughs> who, knows? who all, knows? Yeah, I mean, if you were talking about algos and you're talking about AI in this marketplace, is a completely different ball game to exactly. like a, a doctor scheduling app. <laughs> yeah, but no one knew right. back right. then, and sure. I was still green and just came back to Hong Kong, and then that's when I realized, okay, I I need to learn how to do business, right? right like, right. okay, I need to put myself out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was. I mean, are you still that. friends with these people? 
I've seen them here and there. I mean, but are you still friends or? Are you um, I mean, I, we were very close before, so yeah. you know, no hard feelings. Right, right. Uh, not great feelings, but I mean, no <laughs> feelings at all. To be honest. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's also a key learning, yeah. right? I mean, oftentimes people, as founders, they like, hey, you know, I know this guy, or we've nope. been friends for ages, or like grew up together and then all of a sudden they put something together and then it doesn't work out and mm -hmm. then people get pissed off at each other and they maybe never talk to each other again so exactly I mean I don't know if that's kind of like a key learning or not yeah I think definitely just making sure that there's not a lot of conflict of interest sure uh from the beginning is quite important to me now right um and so I try to sort out all these things before I really like go dive go head in it. right uh, but after that you know I, I I got the opportunity to really put myself out there and grow my own network. Yep. And uh, yeah, I, I went from you know being a software engineer to then uh, working at Rice Robotics and I was their head of product and tech. So I okay. got to represent the company in talking a lot of te about technology, sure. but at the same time being able to really hone my uh, business acumen and All understand right. you know how to run a business. Mm. Uh, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, yeah, I think just aligning with the founding team is so important. Just finding that balance and alignment and making sure that uh, you're constantly uh, challenging each other's ideas, but in a constructive and fruitful way right, that you right. want the same outcome. Like there's mutual respect kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know what you're talking We're not going to say it. But. Yeah. <laughs> My gloves are on. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so now, now you transition all the way over to, Hey, you know, we're going to go and launch this deploy platform and, you know, uh, you know, how did you, how did you choose the problem? Like, cause you, you spend a lot of time inside a robot. I mean, it's a, it's a leap from robotics to, you know, Absolutely. talking about investments and then like how, how did that kind of come about? I yeah. Guess? I would say that I'm not tied to the problem, but I enjoy the challenge. So I think for me, approaching Deploy, it was about solving a problem that I really felt throughout my last couple of years of working experience from seeing founders uh, locally struggle um, from getting uh, the right investors yeah. or just getting their names on the table. Uh, you know, they spend so much time pitching and talking about their uh, runway and talking about what they're doing with the money instead of building the product, building the company or really understanding the day to day operations of the company. And I found that incredibly annoying and inefficient. Uh, and so to me, it was just about, OK, how do we solve this in the right. best way possible? Um, and I, I do believe that Deploy is the best of both worlds because I get to still see and touch a lot of the frontier tech that sure. uh, that led me to today. But at the same time, I get to also, I don't have to be as involved and, and mm. really solving the problems as granular as, you know, okay, the, this line has a bug, you know, to, right, right. to now having a more macro view and, okay, how do we get these startups funded? Oh, is the tech sound? Um, mm. Is everything that they're building, does it make sense to present to the investor? So just having both sides mm. of that uh, is quite nice. What's the, I guess, probably like the two big pieces inside of it is like, what is the AI element inside a deploy? What's the sort of like the web three elements inside a deploy and how does that fit into the, sort of like the business model, right? Yeah, so. sure. Um, 
So this is all in the works right now because yeah, we do believe that it is important to have a good foundation before you're applying technology to the problem. Sure. Um, because a lot of times now, if you see Web3 and AI, yep. people have the hammer, but they're looking for the nail. Yeah, you know, exactly. They're, they're trying to, they're trying to uh, fit the problem to the tech and yep. not the tech to the problem. That's right. And we fundamentally believe that, okay, the value chain of... Uh, the entire deal flow can be put on the chain. Sure. Um, there are things that we can do with identity management that yep. could be done through Web3. For example, um, you know, soulbound tokens. How mm. do you do KYC once and have it forever be that person? And so we don't have duplication of users because a big part of our uh, well, gamification or economy is uh, reliant on people's reputation on the platform. Sure. Right. And then there are things like AI where we're trying to optimize the workflow of the people involved. We don't want scouts to be spending too much time doing the DD. We don't want the experts, you know, spending too much time reading through the decks and whatnot. Can it be summarized? Uh, can key information be extracted? We do want, we want to call it human splaining. So Human-splaining. like human splaining. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, we want to pit not pit AI against humans, but having an AI presented model and the human presented models, and right. then to come to the convergence of the best evaluation model for a okay. startup. Right, yeah. right. And that also involves maybe looking at historical data, maybe pulling uh, information about the startup's um, track record, their data uh, on the web, like what's publicly available, just to have a more well-rounded view of right. what, and, and this, greatly surpasses what a human analyst can do, right? In one hour, maybe they can at most read through their recent tweets. But if you have, <laughs> if you have AI, you can really <sighs> distill that information, get mm. some sort of sentiment analysis. And right. we call it time on deal. How do we minimize the time on deal for right. any of the human actors? So it's basically trying to get uh, not only the deal flow, getting access, but then also shortening the time, making it more efficient for deal flow. Like, is that... Is that something that some of the PEVC folks can? I, I could it could there be an institutional version of deploy? Yeah, I mean that is also the dream, right? We we right. want to start small and right. see uh, where we should spend most of our energy on. We're still a very agile and lean team, um, and so our bandwidth is obviously limited right now. Sure. But uh, we're also in a very great position where we're not actively fundraising, so we can really not focus on. Zero. We're not. So we're. So how'd you guys? So, I mean, we. we yeah, <laughs> one of our invest uh, investors is also the co-founder. Um, okay. So we're very lucky to be in this position where we can focus on actually building the product that uh, we are happy with, the investors are happy with, and everyone in the, you know, economy that we're building is right. happy with. Right. Um, but I mean, obviously, this will run out at some point, so we'll see then. <laughs> Well, you guys will have it built out and then start, uh, you know, churning, I mean, getting, uh, bringing in clients, revenue and all those different things, hopefully before that. Um, what's, what's your view? I mean, you guys are set up in Hong Kong, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are based here, homegrown. I mean, what's your views in terms of Hong Kong as an ecosystem or as a, you know, for startups? I mean, what's your, been your experience? Yeah, I think Hong Kong is an interesting place for startup because, uh, the the sentiments change uh, mm -hmm. depending on the season, depending on you know what activities are out there. You know, there's like certain peaks of hype if it has anything yeah. to do with fintech or has something to do with prop tech because I think those two pillars are 
the strongest drivers of the innovation economy in Hong Kong. But obviously, if you look at other sectors, uh, I so one term that Jordan has coined, my co-founder, he said that there's a lot of white-collared solutions for white-collared problems in Hong Kong. White-collared solutions. And so that's like red I really tech like that. Kind of yeah, thing, I, I really like that because. Like, I think Hong Kong as a whole is quite a privileged society. If you look at the people who are benefiting from the startup ecosystem, they don't have a lot of real problems to solve, right? It's mostly about how do I increase my margins? How do I increase sales? Yeah, how do I, right. you know, um, but if you look at emerging markets, um, there, there's so much opportunity to be had there. Mm. And yet they are the ones who do not have the network that we have. They do not have the um, uh, capital, the resources that would allow them to flourish. Uh, and, and so at the backbone of Deploy, we just want to increase participation into the innovation economy, like yeah. making sure that people who don't necessarily have uh, VC contacts you know, on their speed dial, people who like that, who have an amazing idea, who you know, have some traction, they can grow their business. Sure. Um, yeah, so, so we're really betting on those kind of startups. And I think also in the future with AI, with, with it being so easy to build something from scratch, uh, I really do think that you know, ticket size will be smaller. You'll need as much money from VCs. You could bootstrap, you could, add, you know, you could get a loan, but it's, it's really about uh, making sure people who might not have the voice get a platform. That's right. Yeah. Right, right. Awesome. And then, so what's sort of like the future look like for you guys? I mean, what's on the roadmap and, you know, how do you guys see yourself developing, evolving inside of this place or even generally, I mean, inside of Hong Kong, like, what do you, what do you see kind of happening here? Yeah, I think that's a huge question. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously in the long term, we really do want to just make sure that we have a very diverse group of startups, so deals on the platform. We have active participants uh, from the scouts and the uh, experts who can evaluate these models. Um, and we really do hope that we can build up that incentive model so that people do feel like they have a voice and agency in the system. That is a overarching mission. Yeah. Um, and how to get there. I mean, for me, my time horizon is pretty much day by day, if not week by week. Uh, I try not to think too hard about, okay, what does success mean to me? And I read through a question and I was like, you know what? I, I don't see success as an end goal. For me, I take it day by day and I try to enjoy it as much as possible. Like, there's no, let's say, a target of, you know, one, ten, hundred, you know, investors or one. Yeah, like, I mean, nothing... that's not for me to worry about. That's right. for Jordan uh, to worry about. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I know that we have very... Uh, stringent maybe KPIs, yeah. right, that we want to hit. Let's say a yeah. hundred investors or yeah. a thousand investors or, or everyone on this planet. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think this is really hard for me to visualize right now. Uh, my, my success is if people are giving me good feedback um, or if they give me bad feedback, yeah. I think that's also good. Uh, I think the biggest challenge in the early days of running Deploy was everything was kind of like Schrodinger's cat. We, it's both here and there. It's, you know, until you put that product in front of the hands of people and mm. get a strong yes or a strong no, it's better than the indifference of just pitching an idea right. and not knowing if it is 
amazing or if it's terrible. Right, right. But but then how are you doing that sort of product market fit before you actually finish it, right? I mean, are, are you doing QC in terms of the product market fit as you're going through or how, how yeah, do you guys... Yeah, absolutely. Right. So we, from the get-go, our MVP was about how do we get one complete deal flow? Like yeah. that was our first KPI. Yeah. One complete deal flow from a scout to an investor uh, completely on our platform. Right. right. Yeah, you start right, right. with the smallest measurable yeah. impact. Right. And then you build on top of that. Sure. So now we've gone, okay, how do we onboard the scouts? Mm. Uh, and now we have almost 100 scouts on our platform. Already. But these are all closed. Um, and Oh, it's uh, a yeah. closed deal yeah, system. Yeah, exactly. Because system. we want to make sure, okay, they can operate fluently in the platform. Nothing is wrong. Okay, yeah. now we add on another layer. Okay, okay. incentive structures. Yes. How do we uh, involve the experts to get them the incentives to evaluate the deals? Right now we're just begging them, right? Please evaluate a deal. But because there's, right. we don't have the incentive structures in place yet. Sure. So we're building this layer by layer and testing as we go along. If something doesn't work, okay, we go back a step. Yep. Where do we branch off from there? Mm. So it's very uh, methodical. We, yes. we definitely want to make sure at every step we know what went wrong or what went right. Yes. And it has to be measurable. Right. Okay. So it's, uh, you got very clear KPIs as you're going through in terms of product market fit and the iterations. And then this is what's on the roadmap as you're going through. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Got it, got it. Um, any sort of trends that you're going to see inside of like AI? Obviously, you have a lot of experience yeah. inside of it. I mean, what are you excited about? What are you? There are thinking? so many things I'm excited about, yeah. um, and that's also why I'm really glad I'm not the one building it. And yeah, <laughs> I, and I can see it right, right, uh, right. And, and I can hopefully help fund it. Yeah. Um, but I think with AI, yes, right now we are at the layer of LLMs and thinking about personalization. Uh, but again white you know white collar problems right. um i i really do believe that ai has tremendous impact on research in physics in biology in the combination of ai with other things because right. ai ultimately solves the higher dimensionality problem right it's just that if you have data that is incomprehensible to the human mind yep. you can basically throw data at it and have it come up with a pretty sound model. Right. Um, and this has implications in biology, you know, with how DNA is sequenced, how we understand how the human body works uh, in new therapy and, and, you know, just how do you prolong uh, or better human life? Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of work that could be done with energy optimization. Sure. Um, and yeah, just on impact as a whole, I think we should start looking at these bigger problems and understanding that it doesn't require that much effort to start thinking about these problems. Um, mm. And really just encouraging more people to start from the problem solving mindset. Right. Um, because the tools are there, you know, everyone can do it. Uh, but yeah, it just requires you know, the, the grit and mentality to keep going. So it's going more into this healthcare and being able to understand our own bodies and how we evolve or we can in some ways potentially manipulate that to have better outcomes is what. Yeah. 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 And, and I think this, uh, this is one part that's interesting, obviously with climate resiliency, there's a yeah. lot that could be done on the energy grid. I think that's also something really important to me. Um, with, 
AI, it's hugely energy intensive, right? right. With training the models, with running the models. Um, I think. Yeah, but nobody's a... ever said that. No, I, I mean, when you're pumping yeah. out Bitcoin, people talk about it. Yeah. But, then, but uh, to, to train the models and those different things, that's a different thing. Though. Exactly. So yeah. I, I think there are definitely ways to make this process more efficient. Sure. I don't think we can disregard, like, say, a huge ban on, on pushing mm. this technology forward, but I think. Um, there are different ways of making the infrastructure more sound and more sustainable. Um, and yeah, maybe even some integrations of AI and blockchain. How do we, for example, uh, use blockchain as a backbone for robotics and yes. you can create uh, swarm robotics that could cooperate and maybe this can replace certain dangerous jobs like doing mm. uh, mines or, you know, doing certain uh, yeah, dangerous going to diff different places, but you can use AI and blockchain in that. Sure. So these are really interesting topics, right. but obviously, yeah, I am sure some people are out there figuring it out. <laughs> what's your, what's your view on the uh, AI ethics piece, right? I mean, of course, that's always on, uh, on sort of like people's radar screen. Some people say it should be regulated. Some people say no. What's, what's your view on that? Yeah, I, I'm split because the more and more I talk about it, you know, there's this, on one hand, you see AI as an arms race. Yes. And then people say that, oh, it's not an arms race, it's a suicide race because, you know, one day the AI will mm. oversmart us and become our overlords and, you know, wipe out humanity and whatnot. But I think if you are going down that line of thought, you are also disregarding the fact that if you are assuming AI is intelligent enough to do so, then... Where, what about its morality? Like, mm. what about its way to reason and to, you know, if, if they become our overlords or they must have some reason to do, I don't know. Um, so, so I think this could be a tremendous impact towards society where we could have uh, AI aid in a lot of our work in um, allowing humans to do what we do best. Right. Um, and like us being the coordinators instead of, you know, doing the actual labor and manual uh, stuff. But uh, at the same time, I do understand that, you know, AI in the hands of the wrong people, then, okay, what does that mean? But then it leads to the argument of like, who are the wrong people? Like AI is ultimately trained from humans, right? right? So, so yeah, there, there's a lot that could be said about this topic. So right. <laughs> I really have one question to to distill all my thoughts is quite difficult, but, right. um, but I is think there going to be like a human council in the UN or something. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I think ultimately if like that, as right? long as the decision-making power is still put in the hands right. of human and you're using AI maybe to distill the information for you or to, to present you with different sides of the argument to allow you to have an understanding that you didn't have before. I think it could be a really, really great tool for us. So more like the objectivity of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not just coming from one perspective or that perspective. It's like, it covers the basis and then get, lets you make the judgment exactly. call, right? Exactly. Right. And yeah, I think putting a regulation on AI is an interesting problem as well, because it also depends on where that regulation is coming from. Right. Because I think if you look at it from a political perspective, which we decide we're not going to talk about, um, yeah, it, <laughs> The, the more regulation is put on certain technologies, uh, if you look at the Western market, um, it 
becomes more and more expensive. So if you look at the trend uh, in the last 20 years, um, this is just talking about the U.S. market. Uh, the, the price for healthcare, which has been highly regulated, um, has uh, increased 40%, you know, right. and that's crazy. And for example, if you look at electronics, which is uh, less uh, regulated, it, the, the price has decreased. Sure. So people, I mean, this is from The Economist, they just said that there is a positive correlation between regulation and the price of goods, services. Sure. And so I wonder, you know, if you put more and more regulation on something yep. such as AI, uh, then who stands to benefit from that right. regulation? Is right. it actually, are you trying to protect the people? Are you, you know, just benefiting the people who are running these models, who are serving these models? Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think uh, fantastic. Thanks a lot, Sophia, for coming in. I mean, it's uh, super interesting topics. Uh, congratulations on Deploy. I mean, looking forward to hear a much more positive news coming out soon. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you.